DTX Equals, where thought leaders in digital therapeutics put a stake in the ground on what makes DTX DTX. Today, we have Jordan Glenn, who is the Chief Science Officer at NeuroTrack. NeuroTrack provides digital assessments for cognitive impairment and complementary patient education and coaching, a solution that's been recognized by Cleveland Clinic and the National Institute of Aging. Fancy. Their science team has contributed 23 peer-reviewed papers to the scientific literature on cognitive decline and aging, something I know as a former chief science officer myself is really hard to do in industry sometimes. It takes, it takes work. So I'm excited to dig into that and all other things. Uh, welcome, Jordan. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Well, let's get right into it. Um, question one. What's a formative event in your life or career that influenced your path in DTX? Oh, it's such a good question. So I, you know, I was a career academic for a long time. Um, I was, I had made the move to industry, um, kind of post my academic career, but I was working in, I was at Omada Health for a while, I was working in diabetes. I really, I have a background in, in uh, modifiable risk factors, so it was a really good fit, but I, didn't have necessarily a direct connection to diabetes or things like that. And so while I thought the work was interesting, it wasn't, you know, pure, a pure passion of mine. My, my really, my change to what I'm doing now really came into, uh, through being with and, and spending time with my wife, uh, early on before we got married. And I learned that her father, her grandfather had developed Alzheimer's disease. And, uh, I got a chance to meet him a couple of times over the years. And I got a chance to kind of watch the trajectory of his disease move forward and, it struck me in a way that I, you know, you hear Alzheimer's, 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 and, and you think like, oh, that sucks. You know, I don't, I probably don't want that. Uh, but then when you see it, when you feel it, when you're a part of it, when you, uh, when that is a, you know, experience you actually have in your life, uh, it, it, it changes the way you think about these things. Um, and so as, you know, just watching him go through that trajectory, watching how it affected not only him, but the family that, that was around it, it, it made me think a little bit differently about how I was approaching uh, my own career and my own passions and, and my own scientific, you know, development process. And it made me want to go work in a field such as this, that really is such a emotional drain on so many people. Uh, and so just that, that event that, that, ex and it was not necessarily one event, but that experience or watching that trajectory mm -hmm. over a series of years is really what, uh, not only it kind of changed the way I think about digital therapeutics, but changed the way that I wanted to pursue it and the, the, the direction or the environment that I really wanted to work in as well. So tell me a little bit more about how assessment um, ended up being kind of a focal point here and just knowing there's a whole chain of types of things that one can do for Alzheimer's. So what, what landed you at assessment being um, particularly important? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great question with about a hundred answers. So I'll, I'll stick to a few of them. One is the, it's the classic, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't, you can't, you know, monitor it, right. You can't fix it. If you, if you don't know what's going on, we know, if you look at the data, you see that even though 80, over 80% 80 of seniors want to have their cognition tested, less than 20% actually get tested. And it comes down to the fact that, to, you know, if you think about Medicare annual wellness visits, you know, they gone from an hour to 30 minutes to 20 minutes. A lot of these traditional tests take eight to 10 to 15 minutes to administer. So you're losing almost the entire visit to do one test when you have to be thinking about all the other comorbidities during that exact same visit. So a lot of times that gets skipped. A lot of times there's 
you know, physicians or, or doctors, um, clinicians may not have the training to deliver certain tests that may be something that they learned in med school that they haven't used in a long time. So it feels comfortable with it. So it's a lot easier to just kick the can, you know, in a referral to a neuro specialist to be able to provide that. And so it really just came down to the fact that there's a lot of people that need this kind of help. They need testing. They need to know just where they're at, but they're having an incredibly hard time getting it, finding it, understanding it. And so being able to work with the team at Neurotrack to develop cognitive assessments that are short, they're fast, they're accurate, they can be done outside of a doctor's hands. So an MA, a tech, somebody can do it while they're in the waiting room or while they're you know, waiting for the doctor to come in. That way you're just, you're not spending time in a visit. You're allowing that patient to, if anything, you're allowing them simply to know that I was worried, but now I'm okay. And I can leave feeling good about it. Or I feel vindicated, I feel validated, I see that there's an issue, and now I know I'm going to be triaged out to get the help I need. And it really all came down to that pivot point of just helping people get through that moment, because it unlocks so many opportunities, especially in this new world of drugs, where we're starting to finally see some drugs come through the pipeline, um, where now people can get access to this, they can get prescribed this, but it still all starts with the testing. And if we can't test these individuals, if we're not setting it up for success in that piece of it, there's literally nothing else that can happen after the fact. I mean, so I completely agree, right? It's I think there's a, a lot of medical avoidance out there, not just in Alzheimer's, but of people kind of like not wanting to know or not trusting medicine enough to want to seek out even just the information that these other things out there are for them. And, you know, we have separate issues of there. There aren't a lot of things out there for, for Alzheimer's yet, but if you don't know you have it, right? Like what's, uh, how do you even know, how do you even know to pursue? How do you even know to, to get those things to people? And of course it's degenerative. So it, if there are things to slow the progression, you find out when it's so bad that a person can't function, it's too late, right? Cause reversing is not the same as slowing degeneration. So yeah, early identification, um, I agree, super, super important here. Um, so, What's the most interesting thing that you've seen around this when you do, you know, so I, I know that um, Neurotrack has rolled this out in health systems and um, you're one of the few, I would say, digital therapeutics companies I'm aware of that has successfully done that, right? Like actually gotten it used in practice in some places. So not super like forever, but like a little quick, uh, is there anything like super interesting that you've learned by by seeing that play out? Um, and when, when you're trying to put something that you've developed in, in theory into practice? Yeah, you know, it's it's a phrase I use a lot of times when I give when I give talks is that there's how healthcare is supposed to work and how healthcare works. And as we've gone through, and I, when, if I think about what our original plan was to deliver this in healthcare and what we, our plan is now what we actually do in healthcare, they're, they're wildly different. Um, and it all came down to us sitting in clinics, talking with doctors, um, piloting and various things, you know, watching people write on the post-it note, throw the post-it note away, get the post-it note out of the trash can because they forgot the number. Un truly understanding clinical workflows has been the entire key to the, the, I think the success of where we've been able to figure out how our testing fits within these, these healthcare models. Um, because understanding what it should be is one thing, but knowing when you go in and you see the time crunches, you see the stresses, you see, uh, patients are late. People need to go have lunch. There are limited waiting rooms. There's limited physicians. It all is incorporated. Every clinic is different. There's a, we, uh, there's a, a good friend of mine who says, if you've seen one clinic, you've seen one clinic. And I, I think about going into a system a couple of years ago where same building, two clinics, literally separated by a wall, 
completely different workflows, completely different practices. Even, they, even though they're on the same systems, they each clinic had developed their own way of kind of doing things. And so I think it took us a while to understand that. But once we did understand that and we started to build our product in a way that allowed for that flexibility. So when we go into a clinic, it doesn't matter how your workflow is. It doesn't matter how chaotic or how structured the, the mm -hmm. workflow may be. Our product will be able to fit within those constraints because we have done it. We understand it. We've built in a way to allow for those kind of constraints to be put around it. And I think that was across the board, the biggest learning for us. Um, we, you know, we got the, the battle scars, the bruises, all of those things going through that process. Uh, but it's helped us get to where we are today, where, as you said, we are successfully working within healthcare, within systems, within multiple systems, doing very different things on very different EMRs, et cetera. But we can be successful in it because we've gone through it and built a product in a way that allows for that flexibility. That's so important. You know, one of the things that I've especially seen over the last uh, few months talking to various companies is that the things that maybe two years ago, those companies were encouraged to throw out the window to get through faster. Like, why would you stop and talk to patients for six months and revise your product based on that? Why would you stop and actually talk to healthcare providers that are going to use it? That's going to slow you down. It's like now suddenly people are realizing they get out and it's like, wow, this doesn't work at all. Like, wish I'd done that in the first place. So, um, yeah, that's that's a that's an amazing model to hear about where that that work is actually getting done and seeing like what the benefits are there because now you have a flexible product, right? You have a product that you can put in all kinds of different contexts and it's built it's built to adapt. So that's extremely cool to hear about. Um, speaking of things that are extremely cool, right? I think the the central question of this podcast is always DTX equals what? So in your mind, and this is now less about your specific company and product and disease area and more about DTX as a whole, what's the most defining issue from your lens uh, in DTX today? Uh, so I like that question a lot. Um, I'm going to, I won't answer it with a lot of NeuroTrack in it, but I will answer it from my experiences at NeuroTrack and kind of building these, these digital therapeutics. It's there's a, a vast difference between the way that product can be built and the speed with which it can be built and then the speed in which it can be validated. And what I mean by that is, you know, when I think about our, our, our cognitive tests and our intervention program as well as go through the same process, you know, you can take, we take the time, we build it, we put it together, but then we can test it internally in days and weeks in a month at, at, at you know, worst. To do scientific research, we have an SBIR grant that's, it's been a two-year grant. It's taken three or four years to get done. And, and our product from when we started that grant to now does not look the same. But so it's taken us two years to go through, do the development, collect the data, you know, get these outcomes. And now we have these outcomes on this product that we really probably haven't used in 18 months because it's iterated, it's developed, it's gotten better. As we've gotten feedback from users, you know, we've been able to, we have a 10 X better version of our tests, of our product, of all the things from the, what we know from working in the real world, but the science lags. And I think that this is, there's, there's always going to be a battle here. There's always gonna be a give take. You don't one, I don't think one can exist without the other, but I do think that if digital therapeutics are to truly be successful, we've got to figure out a way to marry the two a little bit better where we can collect data and iterate on it in a, in a, in a well-oiled scientific machine without needing to do these formal, painful, long RCTs, which just don't keep up with, with the development cycles that typically happen within the tech world. 
So I thought about this a lot. I, I, that was very beautifully like uh, kind of, te- you know, teed up as a, a thing we need to think about. Right. And the reasons that we do, because I think a lot, I, I hear a lot, ah, oh, well, the RCT is not, doesn't work. And, you know, it's, it's a problematic for business and RWE is a much better fit. Can we just do that? And of course, I can't speak for FDA, but to FDA, that looks like you want to do less rigorous research. And um, of course, people want to do less rigorous research. But like the the crux of it is, you know, we want to do good science. But by the time we do it the way that pharma does it, it's a digital product. And so it's changed mm-hmm. so much that it's the data are obsolete. And that this is actually, I would say, one of the driving forces for why I hear so many companies say, we'll go back and improve the product later. And then they never do because they've done an RCT at this point, right, on whatever product they had. And so you're talking about like, yes, your product has improved, but there are also companies that are not improving their product to stay consistent with the one that they're doing in the RCT. And that's that's terrible, too. Right. Like that. That's not what anybody wants, because you should be constantly iterating a product. And as you do in you know, digital health and wellness, um, there's, there needs to be some way to think about how to make the best possible product. Um, that's it's a good thought. So here's one thing I have thought a lot about. And this is just like Acacia's wild and crazy regulatory speculations. But I feel I'm somewhat qualified to have those. I don't know. So, uh, you know, I thought a lot about um, you know, it, to understand what the agency wants to see in a DTX and why they want to see it is the beginning of how to find a solution, because I think it's not that they want an RCT. It's that they want to understand you've dealt with the placebo effect. They don't I mean how we haven't thought of a way to do that without the, the big RCT. But like that's the, the center of that is that they don't want to offer a digital product that if you just gave them some digital product off the wellness market, you'd get the same effect. Right. They want to know it's more than that. So if we can start to have conversations um, with the regulatory side to understand exactly what all the boxes are that they're trying to check so it's not as mysterious as it is now, and then think of, well, how can we do this with RWE? Like, how can we do this with a small supplement study to an RWE study? Maybe now we're looking at packages of smaller, more short-term studies, each designed to address a different piece of that tech box. But you know, it, it all starts with people sharing information, which, you know, about what they've learned FDA wants to see so that, you know, that checklist can really exist. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think there's a path to what you're describing. I think you're completely right. And I ha- I fundamentally agree with the package of studies versus like, you know, tri- like you said, traditionally in pharma, there's the big pivotal or the, or the med devices. There's right. the one big pivotal that's like, this is the one that checks the box. Our world doesn't really work that way. And so... You know, I think about what we've done at Neurotrack. You mentioned in the beginning, we've done 23 different papers and they've been all over different phases of the product, construct validity, you know, psychometrics around test, retest reliability, Mm -hmm. sensitivity and specificity. And a lot of times that stuff is all tried to, is done at one point, but we've done it piecemeal in very different ways because as we've iterated the product, we need to revalidate, we need to retest, maybe we need to renorm. There's a lot of things that have to happen over time. And so being able to put together that package of data or the package of papers versus the one because then you can never change and you're always going to learn things that are going to get better they're going to improve it maybe not unnecessarily the efficacy but the patient experience side of things and you shouldn't have to go run a full massive trial again just because you want to improve the experience for patients that's that feels crazy to me so i think that's something that we should think about as well well and you can like if i think about this with um you know there are a few things about the placebo effect that one has to demonstrate to the FDA. One is what is the size of the placebo effect in this patient population, which may not be known, 
um, at least on the measure that you're using. Two, what does the placebo effect to a digital product look like? If one of us just did that and published it, why could we not benchmark if we were a different company in a different, once these things are established, like why do we all need to do our own study on the placebo effect and our own study, design our own sham intervention and you know, with benchmarking, right? If you understand the size of the effect of a digital intervention um, that's a placebo in major depressive disorder, like why could we not benchmark against that or use you know, matched data to make that comparison why does it have to be done over and over again, right? Like, I, I do think that there's got to be some way to, um, again, it's information sharing, right? If I do it in MDD, I'm helping all the competitors in MDD. And so, like, that's that's a trade-off. Yeah, that, 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 I don't know how many, there's probably a lot of companies that probably wouldn't want to do that. I So it's, you know, they, they, at the end of the day, they're... But do, would three companies want to collaborate on doing a single one together and then you don't have to repeat efforts and you split the costs in third? And yes, you're all helped by it, but like ultimately it happens much faster. I don't know, maybe. Maybe. That, uh, maybe. Feels a little pipe dreamy to have three competitive companies want to work together on a single study, on a single study but it, you're right, it is possible. You know, the, I'm just thinking about in the context of right now where nobody has any money, right. certainly not, you know, half a million dollars to build the compelling placebo intervention. And it's going to take six to 12 months to do, and you need to have product people to do it. And then you have to find the patients. So uh, let's not forget all the robots in recruiting, right? So like it is pipe dreamy, except we're all going to die if we don't collaborate at this point, <laughs> there's no money, right? Like, so, uh, you know, uh, or the money's going to go to the biggest, you know, alliance. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. It just seems like uh, if it's between dying as a company and collaborating, people might consider it. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, like I build shams for a living. <laughs> so like, it's okay if you want to build a sham, but you know, in the end, it just, it starts to feel really repetitive. I'm building the same thing. Right. Um, you know, everywhere I go, what they need is is only subtly different. And that seems like a waste. Yeah, that no, makes sense. So final question, in your wildest dreams, what is something that DTX will be able to do in the future that it can't do today? Engage patients. I don't know. Like that's, that's probably. No, that's a good one, man. It's a good, it's a really good one. It's, I, I think there's, at, at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's problems all across the pipeline, right? That will get fixed eventually, whether it's regulatory, whether it's reimbursement, whatever. But at the end of the day, they have to be able to keep people using them. And I, I just, I very, very few, if any, have, you know, people that will stick with them for a significant amount of time. And if, if it's the pipe dream in my head then becomes like, how do you get people off drugs or on less drugs? And the only way that you can do that is by people continuing to use the, 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 the replacement, the digital, the, the digital therapeutic. And we just haven't figured out, we haven't figured out a way yet to make using the DTX more exciting than taking the pill. And that in my mind is like the, the coup de grace of where digital therapeutics will, will or can win if it gets there is how do we make using the products more, more acceptable or easier than the pill. And it, and cause engagement across the board, if you look at study after study, after study, after study, it's easy to keep people engaged during a research study when you're paying them and you're reimbursing them and they get that nice juicy check at the end for being a subject. It's not even that easy then. Yeah, you know? it's true. Like, it's not. 
But once it's the real world and once people start using a regular basis, it falls off. We all know it all falls off across the board. It doesn't matter what if you're in the diabetes space, the weight loss space, the Alzheimer's space, the cardiovascular, it doesn't matter. People fall off. And so being able to keep people on, I think is the holy grail of, of digital therapeutics. Well, uh, and I would say to complement that is being able to work with the FDA and other regulatory agencies to create products that are actually meant to be used long-term. Uh, because I think if there's a lot of pressure to be like a traditional medical device where it gets mailed to you for six weeks and you use it and you mail it back um, or you use the app and then the app is deleted at the end. And um, we haven't seen a lot of precedents of FDA cleared products that have a maintenance module. So even if we could engage patients, there are also some constraints or kind of ways we have to work with the agency to get them more comfortable with the idea that something can be used long-term, like an SSRI. But we're busy thinking about it like antibiotics right now. Mm. Um, you know, and that's, uh, that's, that's rough for, for the long-term engagement piece, which is important, as you note, um, for many ways. Yeah. With that, sorry, you do your thing. <laughs> One more. Well, I'll say that, that the last thing I'll say yeah. on that is that, you know, we talk about a lot of times the, like these digital therapies being prescribed. And, you know, when you, a lot of times when you take drugs, they're meant to be perpetual and used over time. And we just, we haven't thought about the digital therapeutics the same way. And I think mm -hmm. that it's like, to your point, it's a, it's a reframing of that from the med device to more the, the pharmacological reference that I think makes a little bit more sense when we think about how the development process and the use of these are. And then there's a whole series of events that actually keep people wanting to use them long-term, but right. that's a, that's yeah. maybe a story for another day. Uh, on that note, we're out of time. So thank you so much, Jordan Glenn, for joining me um, and uh, catch us next time for DTX Equals.